Well, welcome back to Purpose Church or welcome to Purpose Church for the first time. We are sincerely grateful that you are joining us today. And I just got to give a special shout out to our senior girls, our 12th grade girls and their life group leaders, Nicole and Natalie. They are on a getaway celebrating what God has done over these last four years. And they are safely together enjoying this moment right now in worship. And we love you. And in fact, I just want to give a special shout out to all of our student ministries, adult leaders. These are incredible volunteers who throughout the entire pandemic have not withdrawn at all and they have not backed off, but in fact, they have pressed in to care for each one of your students in an amazing way because we know now more than ever before, students need adults who love Jesus pouring into their lives and helping them follow Jesus. So leaders, we love you and we are so proud of you. Well, again, Again, we are in a series, we are in week two of a series called I Said This, You Heard That, where we are talking about key ingredients to communicating better as we understand who we are and who the people are in our lives that God has created. And I want to start by showing you a picture of this mirror. Now, this mirror is kind of the deluxe Rolls Royce of mirrors. It is called the Verilara 10 times magnification mirror. It's got the LED light. It's got like Bluetooth. It'll play your favorite song while you're looking into it. But the aspect of this mirror that is most valuable is the circle part at the top that will literally magnify whatever's in front of it by 10 times. Now, maybe you feel like me. You're like, man, I don't need a 10 times zoomed in look at my face. I don't want to see all of that stuff. And yet the reality is, and you probably know this, the relationships in your life can sometimes function like a magnified mirror. That whether it's a roommate or a friend or a family member or your husband or your wife, they can become like a magnified mirror in your life, showing you parts of yourself that are honestly hard to look at. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons there is conflict in our relationships and one of the reasons that sometimes couples get a divorce is because the picture they see in the mirror they're not a big fan of. And instead of taking ownership, we are prone to blame the mirror when maybe those relationships in our lives are a part of God's plan to make us more like himself. You see, but the key way to become more like Jesus is to have a relationship with Christ and have relationships with others who are followers of Jesus. Because sometimes they'll tell you things that are hard to hear. In fact, a few years ago, I remember my wife sitting me down. She said, Eric, we have got to figure out your snoring problem. She said, every time when you fall asleep, you are snoring so loud, I can't sleep. We got to get this thing figured out. And honestly, for years, I said, Sarah, it's not that big of a deal. I'm fine. Everybody snores. It's not a big deal. And she goes, Eric, Eric, you don't understand. When you snore, it sounds like a bear is about to die. That's literally what your snoring sounds like. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to hear what she had to say because I was insecure. At the time I was 29 years old and I was thinking, man, if I go in and get sleep tested and all of a sudden have to wear this like giant mask on my face every night when I go to bed, I don't know any other 29 year olds who have to do that. Well, I finally scheduled a sleep appointment and I remember going to the sleep center one evening and 
As I got to the sleep center, I, I sat down on the bed and the technician came in and started to kind of hook up sensors to my legs and my chest and, and onto my head. And, and I noticed that there was a bathroom in this room and the door was wide open and I had the TV on and, and the technician began to talk to me and he shared that he was a Christian and, and the church that he went to. And we were having this really great conversation. And then right as he was about to leave, he turned off the TV and he looked at me and he said, do you believe in ghosts? I thought to myself, I was like, wow, where is this conversation going? And so I told him, I said, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe that Satan can masquerade in lots of different ways to sort of pull us away from Jesus and distract us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. So no, I don't really believe in ghosts. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, I don't believe in ghosts either. And then there's a pause and he says this, he goes, but the last guy who slept in this bed, he said that in the middle of the night, he woke up and there was this shadowy figure above him tickling his feet. He literally just says that to me. My eyes are huge. I hate scary stories. My eyes are huge. And all of a sudden he goes, well, good night. And shuts the door behind him. It's pitch black. That bathroom door is open. I didn't check it out. Who knows? Maybe the tickle monster is right behind there. And I am freaking out. Well, I wake up the next morning and I get the results for my test and my doctor sits me down and he says, I've been doing this for many, many decades. And you, Eric, are one of the worst sleep patients I've ever had. Your sleep apnea is through the roof. You need a machine. And I thought to myself, ah, this is what I was afraid of happening. But then I got one of those sleep machines and I am like a proud believer in sleep masks. I love it. It has changed my life. And my wife was right from the beginning. I was resistant. And yet as I followed her advice, it literally changed my life. Now, maybe some of you are asking, why are we doing a relationship series? Why are we doing a communication series? Is that what we should be spending our time on? Why are we doing this? The answer is really simple. It's because it's biblical. In fact, God's word from beginning to end is chock full of encouragement, wisdom, teaching on how to have the kinds of relationships that he desires for us to have. In fact, in Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, now this word unwholesome talk, the, the Greek is actually sapros. The word is sapros. And the word sapros literally means unwholesome talk, which means little or no value. So let's go back to that verse real quick. Paul says, do not let talk come out of your mouth that has little or no value, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The idea of the kind of communication God desires for us is where we're thinking about the other person and what they need more than what we even want to say in that moment. In fact, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to practice, to practice Ephesians 4.29 kind of communication. In fact, some of you, some of you need to ask yourself, who is God calling you to practice Ephesians 4.29 with? I want you to insert their name in there. I want you to think about who is the person that God is calling you to practice Ephesians 4, 29 kind of communication with. Because as one of my mentors, Derek Torrey likes to say, message sent does not always mean message 
receive. Just because you say it doesn't mean the person receives it. Now, as we talked about last week, Pastor Glenn did a great job unpacking the four temperaments, the four kind of ways that God has wired us. And we're going to look at an overview and then we're going to dive deeper into the sanguines today. Well, when you think about these four temperaments, there's kind of four different groups. And the first are the sanguines. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And they speak the language of people and fun. And they're more in the people and extrovert category. Then you got the cholerics over here. And the cholerics are more in the extrovert task-driven category. And they speak the language of power and control and leadership. You got the phlegmatics who they speak the language of calm and harmony, a little bit more introverted, but still people focused. And then you have the melancholics who speak the language of perfection and order. And those are our introverts and task-driven people. Now, maybe as you see that list, you can begin to identify which one you are. M maybe this next list will help. When it comes to sanguines, they need approval, acceptance, attention, and affection. Cholerics need loyalty, a sense of control, appreciation, and credit for their work. The phlegmatics need harmony, a feeling of worth, lack of stress, and respect. And melancholics, they need safety, sensitivity, support, space, and science. Now, I want to show the chart that Pastor Glenn used last week to dive a little bit deeper into the sanguines. And as you see this, I want to let you know that I tested for, I tested pretty high in the sanguine extroverted category. And my wife, Sarah, took the test and she's a sanguine as well, but more in the introverted category. And maybe you're wondering, well, Eric, what's the difference between you and Sarah? It's really easy, friends. I'm all the weaknesses. She's all the strengths. That's, that's about it when you think about Sarah and I. But maybe some of you, as you look at that list, you can immediately identify, you know, I think I may be a sanguine or, or I know somebody really close to me who is a sanguine. Now, the healthy sanguine theme verse comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn that the healthy sanguine is down for this. They are willing to rejoice and celebrate with those who are celebrating, but also willing to grieve with those who are grieving. Now there is a lot in the scriptures that speak to those of us who are sanguines and those of us who are in relationships with sanguines. But what's important to remember is that if you are striving for healthy, productive, and Christ-honoring communication, you will always balance what needs to be said with how it should be said. In fact, some of you know that if you just remember this principle, that huge fight that you had this weekend with your spouse wouldn't have ever happened. Because friends, as you know, and as I know, the right thing said in the wrong way will always be received in a hurtful way. I'm gonna say that again. The right thing said in the wrong way will always be received in a hurtful way. And you're like, really? What? Are you sure about that? Well, the Bible actually talks about this. Look at what Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14 says. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. So you could have all the right intent, but the impact is negative. Or, or look at this passage in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. You could have the right intentions, 
But if you don't communicate in the right way, you will miss it. Well, what I wanna do today is I wanna look at two biblical characters that I believe were probably sanguines. I wanna look at Ruth and I wanna look at Peter. Now, why, why did I choose these two? Well, simply, Ruth, she had an awful tragedy happen in her life. I mean, she was married, she had a family, she had a community, everything was going great. And then all of a sudden her husband of 10 years died. Her, her mother-in-law lost her husband and all of a sudden they have to fend for themselves. And yet Ruth had this dynamic optimism. She had this belief, this commitment that God was not done with her life yet. And then you've got Peter who, did you know that we actually have more written about Peter? We have more of Peter's own words recorded in the gospels than any of the other disciples combined. And so we've got a lot of material to work with and we're gonna see how Peter really in some ways embodies an unhealthy sanguine. And then we'll see after the resurrection how Jesus transformed his life and he becomes a spirit-led Sanguine. So let's jump into this together. Unhealthy sanguines, unhealthy sanguines struggle with being, number one, arrogant. They struggle with being arrogant. Look at what it says in Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is explaining the reality of what is about to come and then look at what happens in the story. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, those are bold words. That Peter literally said, yeah, Jesus, let's go, let's go. Come on over here real quick. Come on over here. We, we got to talk for a minute. And he rebukes Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Dang, Jesus is popping off here. I mean, he is not holding back at all. He is called, he called Peter Satan and said, get behind me. You are missing it. Your arrogance is getting in the way. In fact, it, it kind of reminds me of how powerful our words are and something that my wife, Sarah, tells our kids all the time. She says, hey, your words are like toothpaste. Man, once they come out, you cannot put them back in. You see, unhealthy sanguines can at times be arrogant with our words. The second thing that unhealthy sanguines can struggle with is being prideful. Look at what happens in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus is in, in the middle of a message about what is going to transpire, about what is going to happen. And Peter steps in and he goes, hey, Jesus, amazing sermon. Amazing. I mean, you spoke really well. Uh, uh, your volume up and down, the dynamic, the illustrations, so powerful, Jesus. It's just your content was a little off. It's just, I don't fully agree with that because it's not gonna happen. I, I, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand with you. And Jesus goes, no, no, you won't. And then Peter models for us what we do when we're living in pride. He doubles down. Even when Jesus says, Peter, I gotta correct you. I gotta let you know you're wrong on this. Prideful people, we double down. And Jesus goes, man, you are you're, you're missing it. The third thing that unhealthy sanguines tend to struggle with is being timid. Look at what happens in Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, all of a sudden, Peter, who was so arrogant and prideful, becomes timid. All of a sudden, that that that. Peter that said, I will die with you. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who else falls away. I never will fall away, Jesus. All of a sudden, a few 13-year-old girls come to him and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And he's like, never heard of him. New phone, who dis? You know what I mean? Like, I've never, never heard of the guy. You see, sanguines can kind of put off sort of a, a, an impression that they've got it all together or that they have an arrogance and a pride to them. And yet oftentimes they struggle with being timid. And then lastly, unhealthy sanguines struggle with being impulsive. When Jesus was arrested, Peter didn't know what to do. And instead of thinking through the best strategy, this is what happens in John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. That's not what Jesus asked him to do, but he impulsively decided to do that. It reminded me of a while ago, I received just a mean email, just, just a mean email. I remember receiving it and I read it a few times over and I quickly began to articulate my response. And all of a sudden my body was tensing up. I was like grinding my teeth. My blood was boiling. I was getting a little, little headache going because I was so focused on it. And man, I was writing this email. I was so ready to respond with all of my thoughts. They thought that was me. I'm gonna show them. And I was writing it. And right before I sent it, I remember showing the email to a friend of mine. I said, can you, can you believe this? Can you believe this? And that friend just looked at me and said, hey, Eric, would you consider waiting 
24 hours to send that email. Just consider waiting 24 hours. I said, are you kidding me? I've got all the passion right now. I got all the conviction right now. I'm ready to respond. I know exactly what I want to say. And my friend said, just wait 24 hours. Well, over those 24 hours, all of a sudden something started to happen in me. All of a sudden I started to relax a little bit. All of a sudden it wasn't nagging at me the way it did when I first opened it. All of a sudden I started to think through lots of dynamics. And 24 hours later, I I wrote an email response, but it's one that I'm so proud of. It's one that I can stand before you and say, I'm, I'm glad that I wrote. And I can assure you that the first draft, the one I would have written immediately, it wouldn't have been helpful. You see, that's the danger of being impulsive is that when we're impulsive, we lack self-control. It's why in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, Solomon says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city who has no protection. Anything can come in and anything can go out. No stability is the person who lacks self-control. Maybe some of us, that's, that's the word for today for us is we need to really contemplate whether we are living with self-control, whether we are interacting with self-control, whether we're communicating with a sense of self-control. But here's what's exciting. So maybe you're, you're looking at some of that list and you're going, man, I, I am an unhealthy sanguine right now. And I, I, those, those qualities, arrogance, pride, timidity, and, and impulsivity, that kind of describes me right now. Well, there's hope for you because it's possible for a sanguine who's been wired by God to be spirit led, to be guided by God. And what we're gonna see is with Ruth and Peter that, that the spirit was truly leading them and, and spirit led sanguines, they are often number one, committed. Look at what it says in Ruth chapter one. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. I mean, can't you feel the passion and the emotion in this? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, that she was committed to her, she stopped urging her. You see, those of us who are sanguines and are led by the spirit, we have a commitment to people that outlasts the circumstances of the moment. Sanguines that are led by the spirit are present, they're faithful and they're fully committed. You know, spirit-led sanguines, they are often optimistic. Look at what it says in Ruth chapter two, verse two. And Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. 
They didn't have any connections. They had no idea that they were gonna land in the field of Boaz. And yet Ruth just says, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna believe that God's gonna take care of us. I'm gonna trust that as I take steps forward, that God is gonna fill in the gaps that God is going to provide. Some of us as sanguines, we're we're just kind of almost landlocked. We feel like our feet are buried in the ground. We've lost that sense of optimism. And trust me, I get it. If 2020 and 2021 have done anything for my heart, it it is like squelched some of my optimism. And yet when you're spirit led, when God is your guide, there is an optimism that only he can give you. Spirit-led sanguines, they are often courageous. Now, now we're gonna look at Peter and, and I want you to remember that Peter, before Jesus's resurrection, he exemplified a, a pretty unhealthy sanguine. But I want you to see what happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, this story is one of the reasons I actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And maybe you're tuning in and you're not sure if following Jesus is even something that you want to do. And, and surely it's impossible to believe that he actually rose from the dead. Well, just, just think about this. Peter, on Friday, when Jesus was crucified, he was all talk and no show, right? I mean, he talked a big game, but when it came to being questioned by some 13-year-old girls, he said, I don't know Jesus. And yet on Sunday, when he rose from the dead, Peter actually saw Jesus come back from the dead. And why do I believe that? Here's one of the reasons I believe that. It's that spirit-led sanguines are courageous. Look at the courage that Peter exemplifies in Acts chapter four. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Verse seven, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, being a spirit-led sanguine, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Do you see what happened there? All of a sudden, Peter is full of Holy Spirit courage. All of a sudden, uh, Peter, he, he gets on that soapbox. He gets, he gets in front of that pulpit. He says, I'm gonna use this environment to point people to Jesus, even to the people who hold my future, who hold my life in their hands. Doesn't that look like a different Peter? You see the Peter of Friday, before Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't willing to really give up his life for Christ. But the Peter who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, oh, he's willing to tell some of the most powerful people of his day who have control over his life that Jesus rose from the dead, even if it costs him 
his own life. In the face of jail and possible death, Peter boldly proclaims the gospel. That's courage. And lastly, spirit-led sanguines are often loving, deeply loving people. In Peter's own letter, he writes these words. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter calls on Christians everywhere to not settle for surface level relationships, but to prioritize deep, meaningful, loving relationships where Christ is at the center, where Christ is the example, where Christ is the one that you and I look to and we ask him to make it possible that we would love others the way that he has loved us. And one of the ways we do that is we're hospitable. We open up our homes, we open up our lives, our relationships. We start to talk with people and get to know them and invest in them and point them to Jesus in a deeply loving way. Well, maybe at this point, you're absolutely convinced that, that you're a sanguine. Or maybe you know a sanguine in your life. And if that's the case, I wanna encourage you to try this with the sanguines in your life. Number one, listen to their stories. Every sanguine loves telling a great story. And there's nothing more discouraging. I've had this experience. There's nothing more discouraging to a sanguine than to be in the middle of a story and to realize nobody cares to listen, right? So if you wanna love the sanguines in your life, give them your attention and listen to their stories. Number two, make eye contact when they are talking. This means don't, don't jump on your phone or don't be distracted. Give them your attention and, and make eye contact. Number three, match their positivity or excitement. If a sanguine in your life is pumped about something, if they're excited about something, go there with them. And lastly, ask them open-ended questions. You see, every sanguine wants to be known deeply. And one of the best gifts you can give someone is to ask them questions, to allow them to share their life with you. As we close up, you've probably heard this saying before, sticks and stones will break my bones, but now hold on, finish that at home. How does it go? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but yeah, you're right. You said it, but words will never hurt me. You probably grew up hearing that. Maybe somebody told you that. And deep down inside, I think you believed this as well. That honestly, that saying, it's a cute little rhyme, but it's actually a cute little lie. That our words have the power of life and death. Our words have the ability to draw somebody out or to shut somebody in. Our words are powerful. It's why in the book of Proverbs in chapter 12, verse 18, Solomon says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When it comes to your communication with those that you are closest with, are your words piercing like swords or are they bringing healing? Because God deeply desires that you and I would communicate with one another in a way that points the whole world to Jesus. 
And so may we use our words in Jesus's name to bring healing and hope to the world. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everyone tuning in. God, for all the sanguines out there who are feeling a little even exposed right now or like some of their struggles are are out for everyone to see. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you have a spirit-led life for us, that you wanna work in us and transform us like you did Peter. And for those of us that have people in our lives who we love, who are sanguines, may we love them well as Ephesians 4.29 invites us to do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.